Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Well, today we, we are coming to the end uh, of a series that we started a few weeks back called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And throughout this series, we've been talking about things and phrases. They're mainly phrases. And in some cases, it's a way of thinking that, that unfortunately has infiltrated the church, but are not true. And their beliefs, phrases that are not true about the nature of God and about Christianity. And the first week, we, we, we saw that popular phrase, right, that we hear very often. God helps those that help themselves. Well, that's not in the Bible. And that is not true. Because God doesn't help those that help themselves. God helps those that make him first. God helps those that prioritize God, number one, in their life. And then the second week, we looked at this other phrase that is well-intended, that says, oh, God never gives you more than you can handle. And while that is nice, it's not true. Because God does give us more than we can handle. But God will never give you more than he can handle. And then a third, uh, not so much phrase, but it's more of a, of a, of a uh, thought, is more of a belief, is, is this false idea that obedience always leads to financial blessing. And in our days, it's kind of known as the prosperity gospel. Well, if you obey God, he's going to make you rich. And that's not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we can be content in every situation. That whether we have or don't have, that having or not having doesn't determine our joy and our happiness or how involved God is in our life, but that we can learn contentment. And then last week, which I believe was a fun one, we looked at this phrase, do not judge. And while that phrase, do not judge, is in the Bible, and Jesus himself said it, we looked at not so much what it doesn't say, but what Jesus meant. And Jesus did not mean to say that we shouldn't judge. But what Jesus meant to say is that we need to be careful how we judge. And today, I want to look at the phrase or this sort of a reasoning as well um, that goes something like this. And you can fill it out in your outlines. Suffering always comes from sin. Suffering always comes from sin. I don't know what your view of suffering is. I don't know how you answer why is there suffering in the world or why does God allow suffering. But but this sort of reasoning um, really says this. And and you got to get this because this is so key. It says that the suffering in our life, the suffering in anybody's life is a form of punishment. You are suffering in your marriage because you are sinning in your marriage. You're suffering in your finances because you are sinning in your finances. You are suffering in your body because you are sinning in your body. And we're going to look. I want us to look whether that is true or not. Right? Now, a story 
that really helps us to understand this is the story of Job. And I wish we could make a series out of the story of Job, and we just might in the future. But if you are not familiar with the story of Job, it's not Job, but Job, although they're spelled the same, it's a wonderful story that I would encourage you to read. It's a wonderful book filled with so much wisdom, filled with, 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 with such amazing things. But the story of Job is key to understanding this. Now, if you don't know the story, um, it says, and we're going to look at it in a minute, um, Job was this really good guy. And we're going to look at how the Bible describes him, uh, how God describes Job. But, but Job goes through suffering, right? And we'll look, we'll look more in detail. But Job had three friends that came to his comfort, quote unquote. They came to be with him. And these three friends argue with Job that the reason why he was suffering is because there was sin in Job's life. That God was punishing Job for the sin that was in his life. In fact, these verses is not in your outline, but let's look at what each one told Job. The verses will be up here in the screen. The first friend, Eliaphas, he says to Job in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, remember now, however, whoever perish being innocent or where, where were the upright destroyed? And what Eliphaz is saying, he's saying, listen, what's happening in your life is because you're guilty. Right? And then his second friend, Bildad, he tells Job the following. He says, does God make wrong what is fair? Does the all-powerful make wrong what is right? And then the third friend, so far, right, so far, um, he says the following. He says, if only you were prepared, if only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer. Listen to what he says. Get rid of your sins. And leave all iniquity behind you. Then your face will brighten with innocence. You will be strong and free of what? Fear. Because the reasoning that they had. And the reasoning of many people in the church. Is that because God is fair. He always rewards what is good. Therefore, if bad is coming to your life. It's definitely because something is wrong in your life. That if something is not working, that if the favor of God is not in your life, it's because there's sin in your life. Now, you may be wondering, well, pastor, isn't that true? Doesn't the Bible say that? In fact, let me show you two verses where maybe Job's friends got the, that idea. In Proverbs 12, 7, again, this verse is not in your outline, but it'll be up here in the screen. <coughs> it says the following. It says, the wicked are overthrown and are no more. But the house of the righteous stands what? Firm. And then Proverbs 12, 21 says the following. It says, no harm comes to the godly. Okay, 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 okay. You're smart people. I'm going to get you to think. Proverbs says, no harm comes to the godly. But we look at the Bible and we see godly people suffer. And we see harm come to godly people. So which one is it? Does it or does it not? He says, no harm 
comes to the godly, but the wicked have their fill of what? Trouble. Okay. Can I mess with you a little bit? Can I mess with you? So Proverbs tells us that the godly, that those that follow God, that those that obey, that those that are righteous, that no harm would come to them. But that the wicked, the sinful, the evil people will have their fill of trouble. But isn't it true that you know wicked people that are doing just fine? Isn't it true that you know godly people that are struggling and having to face one issue after another, after another? So how do we deal with this? What, what, what should our approach be? Well, let me tell you something. On earth, godly people will suffer. And wicked people will prosper. Because earth is not heaven. Did you get that? Because earth is not heaven. Now, the key word in this phrase that suffering is always the result of sin. The key word in that phrase is always. The Bible does teach that the outcome of sin is what? Death. That there's, that there's always something that dies. That there's always some calamity. That there's always some trouble as the result of sin. Okay? It does teach that. But the Bible also teaches that not all calamity, that not all suffering comes because of sin. Did you understand that? Okay? Sin does bring death, but not all suffering comes from sin. In fact, I want us to look at the story of Job because I already told you that Job was a person that suffered. When you think of somebody who went through some hard difficulties, who went through some trials, you think of Job. And let's look at his story so that I can prove that to you. Look at what Job uh, chapter 1 verse 1 and then we're going to jump to verse 8 through 12. Look at what it says. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of us. He was what? Blameless. I underlined that. He was blameless. A man of what? Complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from what? Okay, that's key. Okay, that's key. What kind of person is Job? Job is a righteous man. Job is a man who fears God and loves God and does what is right. That's important. Okay. And then in the following verses, the, the writer tells us that one day all the angels came before God. They came to give account to God, to, that there was a, a, a heavenly meeting. And amongst those angels was Satan. Well, Satan was there. And God says, hey, what you been up to? Satan says, oh, I've just been, you know, checking people out. Just been going around seeing what's going on on earth. And look at what God tells him. Then the Lord, this is so awesome. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. 
He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. God is bragging about Job. And notice that it wasn't Satan who brought up Job. Who brought Job up to the conversation? God. And not for bad reasons, but obviously good reasons. Verse 9 says, Satan, which if you don't know, Satan means accuser. And look what he's about to do. Satan replied to the Lord. Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him in his home and in his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out. Listen to this. This is so key. But reach out. This is Satan still speaking. But reach out and take away everything he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. So here's the reason. In case... You didn't get it. So God tells Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? Have you noticed how much he loves me? Have you noticed how dedicated he is to me? Have you noticed his devotion for me? And Satan says, of course Job loves you. You've been good to him. You've protected him. You've protected everything he owns. And you've made him filthy rich. Why wouldn't he love you? And Satan says, but I bet you. That if you take that away, Job is going to flip on you. If you take his protection, if you take his wealth, if you take his success, Job will flip on you. Look at what God says. All right. You may what? This is key. You may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do not harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. And if you know the story, you know that, that Satan went and, and, and it killed his, uh, Job's uh, kids. And, and he took away um, his wealth and he, he destroyed a lot of it. And he comes back and he says, see, Job still holds his integrity. And he says, and Satan says to God, yeah, of course, you've taken everything from him, but he's still doing good. And then God says, okay, go ahead. You can mess with this hell too. And Satan goes back and he, and he uh, makes Job very, very sick. But here's my point. Here's where I'm going. We have a good man who doesn't sin, who is suffering. Why? To teach us that not all suffering is always the result of sin. Job never, by the way, Job never found out about the conversation between God and Satan. He never did. Right? But the story is there to teach us two things about why suffering comes. Number one is to test and to discover how valuable how much love we have for God himself. And two, suffering does come so that righteousness in us can be spurred, so that God can make us more like him. Suffering is not always, in some cases it is, but it isn't always the result of sin. But here's the beautiful thing. You can be sure 
that God will always use suffering. God will always use it. So in Job's case, the suffering was not punishment from God and was not because God was angry at Job. But because there was something bigger going on. There was a testing of Job, a testing of his love for God, a testing of his devotion for God. So you may never know why suffering comes, but here's what you do know, what you can know. And here's what the Bible does teach. And I want you to fill this out in your in your outline. Suffering provides an opportunity to strengthen my faith. Suffering provides an opportunity for you to know God closer and to devote to God even more. See, the big idea here is that God can use all suffering for his benefit and for your good. In fact, what I want to do is I want us to look at what the uh, half-brother of Jesus, James, says about suffering. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus had four brothers. Did you know that? And did you know that all four of them did not follow him while Jesus was alive? That they believed in Jesus when? After the resurrection. And did you know that two of them wrote a letter that's in the Bible? One is James. I'll leave you the homework as to who the other one is. Okay? Oh, somebody gave it out. Thanks for doing the homework for everybody, whoever that was. <laughs> I wanted to spark your curiosity. Really, Jesus had two brothers and they wrote letters and they're in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, they're really good letters too. Look at what James, right there in your outline, says in James 1, verses 2 through 4. Look at what he says. You're familiar with this passage. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. So you know he's writing to Christians. Whenever you what? Face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's two things that James says that when suffering comes in our life, we can do. There's two instructions, and, and uh, these are two things that in my experience as a pastor and in my experience in growing up in the church, I have seen these be needed in the life of believers. So if you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is optional. Whether you want to do it, great. But if you're a Christian, we need to do this. These are the instructions that God has given us through his word that when suffering comes, we can do and we need to do. Number one, here's the first thing. Fill this out in your outline. The first thing is that joy is possible in the midst of suffering. Joy is possible in the midst of suffering. Having joy in the midst of suffering, pain and need, listen to this, is possible. In fact, let me tell you something. 
That should be a quality of every Christian. That is a Christian quality to where Christians can be going through need, can be going through hard times, and it doesn't mean they have to be sad. It doesn't mean they have to be depressed. It doesn't mean they have to be victims to what's going on. And by the way, joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is a lot better. Happiness has to do with what's happening around you. And happiness, only the world can have because that's at the best they can get. But joy, joy is possible to have even in the midst of difficult situations because joy doesn't come from you. Joy doesn't come from your circumstances. Joy comes from God. And the first thing that I would want to say when you go through hardships is that know that you can be joyful. That you don't have to have a sad face. That you don't have to be miserable. Here's why. Here's why. Because the gospel. Because Jesus gives us lenses that allows us to see the world and our experiences in a very different way. And we, we can have joy not because we're happy what we're going through. But because we know that that's not our story. Because we know that that's not all there is to life. Because we know that there's something better that is coming up ahead. Now, let, let, let me make this caveat. Let me make this disclaimer, though. I am not saying that as Christians, we should pretend that we don't hurt. I am not saying that you can't cry, that you can't complain, that you can't moan, that you can't ask God, God, how long? We are human. But here is what I am saying. As Christians, we don't just live by our feelings. We live by our faith. Amen. Now, you want to know the secret to having joy in the midst of pain and suffering? You want to know? Paul tells us. Paul tells us what it is. Look, look, look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. Look at this. For our light and momentary troubles, here it is. Are achieving for us what? An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes. So you see, you get to choose. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is what? Unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is what? Eternal. And then Romans 8.18 says the following. He says, yet we suffer now. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Here's the secret of joy. Here's the secret of joy. The secret to having joy in the midst of pain and suffering is to take your eyes off of the present and put them in your future. And what is our future? Our future is heaven. Our future is, a, is, is being forever in the presence of God. And Paul says, when you do that, when you can think about what's coming up ahead of you and not what's going on right now, it will be possible for you to have joy. And joy is a choice you make. I love this quote. Corey Ten Boom says the following. He says, if you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be what? At rest. In the midst of suffering, where are your eyes? I've, I've been very open about um, my difficulty with my dad not being with us. 
And um, there isn't a week that I don't go by where, like, I don't think of him and tears don't run out, you know? And just about every other week, I ask God, how much longer? Because I miss him. Because I would love for him to be with us. I know that if he was here today, there wouldn't be a happier person we're going on vacation than him. Because he just loved being with us. Because he loved having 24-7 access to my daughters and to me and to my sisters. And in the midst of my missing him and in the midst of sometimes my anger, I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, but I'm doing a great work in him. I know you miss him. And I know you think you need him. But there's people out there that need him more. And I choose to not look at my need. But to look at the need in the world. And how God is using him. And let me tell you something. That brings me great joy. In fact, in two weeks when I see him. I'm not going to tell him how much I miss him. I'm going to grab him and we're going to go out and eat just him and me. And we're going to leave uh, the kids behind. And uh, Lorena will take care of them for an hour or so. Hopefully. And here's, here's what I want to hear from my dad. Here's what I want to talk to my dad. I want to hear how much God is using him. Because he's been to more towns and cities in Mexico than I will ever be. And he's already preached in more churches than I have ever preached in. And he's ministering and God is using him. And I want to hear about how the eternity of people is being changed because God has taken him to Mexico. And yes, I need him here. But I'm choosing not to look at my need here. I'm choosing to look at eternity. And I know the day will come, whether it is here, hopefully, but definitely in eternity where we will be together and we will have much to be joyful about. Amen. So I know, I don't want to sound cliche, I don't want to sound insensitive. Whatever your suffering is, I want you to know that joy is possible. And it's possible when you choose to focus on Jesus and at the outcome and the great outcome that comes. Number two, here's the second thing. Suffering doesn't mean you have to quit. Suffering doesn't mean you have to quit. And here's why I say that. Not only because James says that, but because I've seen in the church that every time it gets hard, people quit. And James says, no, 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 no. See, it's the opposite. Suffering comes to make us stronger, not to take us out of the game. Here's what you got to know. Here's what you got to know. Satan, the accuser, wants to take you out of the game. He wants to take all that's good that God has declared in your life. He wants to take you away from your family. He wants to take you away from your career. He wants to take you away from your studies. He wants to take you away from your relationships. But listen to this. Most importantly, he wants to take you away from your faith in Jesus Christ. He wants to take that. And what the enemy uses to try to harm you, God uses it to make you stronger. And listen to this. Listen to this, okay? 
God uses suffering to test our faith. Job was being tested to see how much he loved God. That was really what was that trial. By the way, did you know that, the only, that Job was not the only one that was at trial? God was at trial too. Because God told Satan, oh, you think that's, that's why he loves me? He says, go ahead, try it out, and you'll see that that's not why Job loves me. And God uses suffering to refine our faith. Here's why. Because our faith doesn't grow in comfort. Our faith grows in challenges. And when we are going through hardships, we get to know God in a whole different level. Don't quit. Let, let, let me read to you a verse. James, in that same chapter, a few verses later, in verse 12, look at what he says. He says the following. Bless is the one that what? Perseveres. Perseveres under what? Under trial. Question, question. We're not judging. It's a, it's a reflective thing. We all know people who are not walking with Christ because they hit hard times in their life and they walked out of their faith. And James says, bless is the one who perseveres, not because it's easy, but perseveres under trial. Here's why. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Why? Can, can you picture this? Can you picture if you walk out on your faith because you lost your job? Can you picture if you abandon your relationship with God because you wanted to enjoy life? Can you picture if you abandon your faith because you and your wife couldn't get along? Can you picture being in eternity, okay, and saying, I missed out on being with God forever because I let a dumb job get in the place, get in the way. I missed out on heaven because I let what somebody said about me get to me and rob me from my walk with God. There will be no suffering here on earth that will make sense in eternity to have missed out heaven for the rest of our lives. And unfortunately, many people will have that regret. and They will miss out on heaven because they walked away from their faith because they did not learn to persevere under trial. Let me tell you something. Whatever you're going through, God can see you through. God can see you through. And he says this. He says, whoever perseveres on that day, they will get the crown of life. The crown of life is the reward, is the evidence that you persevere under hardships. And then, and then James gives us a key. You know what the key to perseverance is? Here it is. Here it is. He says, on that day, they will receive the crown of life that will be given. Ready for this? To those that loved him. What determines our perseverance? How much we love God. Ultimately, Job, Job's love for God was tested and he made it. 
When you're going through hardships, what would determine your perseverance is your love for God. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.